previously on The Avatar Returns. Hello, Zuko here. Uh, it truly has become the Zuko show. 313, the firebending masters, or as I like to call it, so you think you can dance with dragons. In my notes, I called it, how to hang your dragon. He basically explodes his own face, which I think is a pretty great, a pretty great way to die. His, his impotence? Yes. Oh, you Thank you for making text when I was trying to keep it so mm-hmm. Yeah, no problem. No problem. It's my specialty. Men vocalizing rhythmically. But anyways... It's much deeper I, dive into Wayne's World than I expected going into this podcast. I am, I am an endless ocean of Wayne's World knowledge. Mind if I watch you two jerks do your jerk bending? I ain't no rodent. Chop. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm Arlo. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Uh, this week, the countdown to the comet continues as we take a look at chapters 314 and 315, The Boiling Rock, parts one and two. Um, it's, it might possibly be a short episode this week, so let's uh, fill some time. Let's let's mug for the cameras and do some banter. So um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the new uh, Netflix original series Voltron Legendary Defender with you guys. Um, not only because the original Voltron is from the 80s, which, you know, that's my jam, uh, but also because there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of Avatar and Korra connections with this. So have either of you heard of this? Are either of you interested in this? I, 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 I did hear that it was coming out, but I didn't realize there was any kind of Avatar connections. Yeah, the, I was vaguely aware of it, and I know nothing about Voltron. <laughs> I watched the hell out of it when I was younger, but I, I don't remember. Like it was, it was one of those 80s uh, anime TV series that was basically just cobbled together from a bunch of different things. This try. is the one with the with Snarf, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Snarf okay. and uh, Orko, and yeah, that. Uh, no, Got it's it. the it's the five robot lions. You monkey feather. Uh, anyways, so it didn't really have a cohesive story that I personally remember. So I just remember that it was a cartoon and it was fun, but I don't really know that much about it. That's because the 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 Japan the anime that it was cobbled it was cut together out of was dark as hell. Yeah. I'm sure it was I'm... like you'd think you'd think a, a a TV show about a bunch of like colorful robot lions that form a colorful robot with a sword would be a fun show. But holy crap is the beginning of the show about like the utter decimation of their people <laughs> and I believe sla- enslavement of their people. And it's like it is not a uh, pleasant universe that that birthed Voltron. I mean, into it. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's kind of what all of those things were like star blazers, a show that I remember fondly until I tried to revisit. And I made it like half an episode in. And I was like, no, stop, stop right now. Don't taint your memories of the show. Just remember loving it, but don't watch it. Um, yeah, that, that was all was... about like a, the genocide of earth basically. So apparently it was cut together from two different, uh, Japanese animated series Beast King Go Lion and Armored Fleet Dairugger 15. I love these names. They're so ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah, but Go Lion is like the most of the stuff that we really consider um, Voltron, but I should say that it was not cobbled together the way that you think, I believe. Um, Di- I believe that Dairugger's stuff counts as the second season of Voltron. Okay. Like, because like, so like Voltron is like four lions and Dairugger is like a bunch of cars and there was a car Voltron. There was, yeah. And the car Voltron was from Dairugger. Oh. So I think that what happened was when they burned through um, Lion Force Voltron, the second series was based on Armored Fleet Dairugger. So each of them was a heavily edited version of that other show. And there was actually a third one, I think, too. Here, but, here, this is great. So on the on the Wikipedia page for Armored Fleet Dairugger 15, 
in the United States, it was heavily edited to become part of the Voltron series. The die rugger footage was the primary source for the vehicle Vol- Voltron episodes, though various footage was also inserted into the more commonly commonly known Lion Voltron episodes, themselves adapted from another unrelated Japanese series, Beast King Go Lion. And that's how the fuck anime works. <laughs> let me let me read to you the the. So okay, I'm gonna I want to ask what the premise of this show is gonna be after I do this. But this was the premise of Beast King Go Lion, which is effectively what everyone thinks of as Voltron. Goline's story is set in 1999 when the planet Altea is subdued and enslaved by the Gaura Empire. Five space pilots return to Earth to find the planet annihilated by thermonuclear war. Eventually, the explorers are captured and enslaved and forced to fight for their lives in Emperor name I can't pronounce arena. The young pilots escape and eventually land on the planet Altea where they discover the secret of the mighty sentient robot, sentient robot, Goline, the only weapon powerful enough to defeat Emperor, whatever his name is. So Man, Jap- Japanese childhoods were were darker than ours. Emperor Daibazal. Daibazal. I wasn't even going to try. I didn't care. I was like babbling through it. But that was so that was and you can tell like I mean, obviously, like there's this the, the legacy of having dropped nuclear weapons on Japan definitely like strongly influenced their um, yeah. their stories for a really long time, uh, even their what you would consider kids stuff. But. Um, yeah, so that was what Go Lion was. So tell me about this new Voltron. Is, <laughs> well, it, is it in the tone of the of the American Voltron, or are they going darker? Well, so, all right, reading from a USA Today article, it says, Legendary Defender centers on five Earth teenagers. Um, Keith, voiced by Steve Ye- Stephen Yoon from uh, The Walking Dead. Lance is Jeremy Shada. Hunk is Tyler Labine. Pidge is Bex Taylor-Klaus, who I believe played Sin on Arrow. She was the... Do you know who that is, Eric? She yes. was she was the the feisty like drug yes. dealer chick or whatever. Uh, and Shiro is Josh Keaton. I don't know who that is. Uh, who are thrown into the middle of an intergalactic battle and become the last line of defense for Eris and other planets against an even evil alien force led by King Zarkon. Um. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so the the Avatar and Korra connections here. Uh, this show is going to be the. The showrunners for this new version, uh, the co-producers, are going to be uh, Lauren Montgomery and Joaquim Dos Santos. And uh, hopefully you both recognize those names. Montgomery was a storyboard artist on Avatar The Last Airbender and a producer on Legend of Korra. She also directed DC's animated Wonder Woman yes. film and some other stuff. Uh, and Dos Santos was a director for Avatar The Last Airbender, including one of the episodes we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, an executive producer for Legend of Korra, and he's apparently known among his fans as Dr. Fight, because I guess he has a reputation as a kick-ass fight scene choreographer. I have no idea what that is in reference to, because I've seen... There's there's nothing special about the fight choreography in Avatar. I don't know what that's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty pretty bland. Right? Yeah. It's very nondescript. And uh, they just did um, at... Uh, what the hell was the convention that just happened? WonderCon, I think? Is that the one that just happened at the, at the most recent convention? I think it was WonderCon. They had a panel and they announced um, that Tim Hedrick, who is another Avatar and Korra writer, is going to be a writer involved on this new show. So there's at, at least three uh, creative forces from the stuff we're talking about that are going to be involved in Voltron. That's exciting. So yeah, the the first season, thirteen episode season, uh, is going to premiere on Netflix June tenth. So DreamWorks gave the creative team carte blanche to make changes in the Voltron franchise, and Dos Santos admits that while they considered a version that was really military and really serious, everything had chainsaws on it and was really broed out. Yes. And we just didn't want that. <laughs> everything had chainsaws everything on it. Everything had chainsaws on it. And Personally, it was really broed that, out. <laughs> the the, the broed out part I can do without, but everything having chainsaws on it? That seems like an excellent creative decision. What have they done? <laughs> oh, man. Could have been so good. The show we could have had. So, you know, I this was not on my radar at all because I don't know anything about Voltron. That was not part of my childhood, so wasn't even thinking about this. But now that I know it's got some Avatar people behind it, I'm, I might check it out. Uh, speaking of something from uh, from the 80s and 90s that was part of my childhood, though. That you're going to uh, check out. That I am going to check out, sadly. Uh, were you guys aware that there's going to be a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film? What? 
I know. Uh, surprisingly enough, the last one made money. This uh, news, this news really comes out of the shadows for me. I had no idea. Uh, 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 yeah, that's about the level of what this movie. So I, I feel completely very true. In fact, I think it surpasses the wit of anything in the trailer. So, uh, yeah. So there's going to be a new Ninja Turtles movie, and this trailer has been out for a while. But our, uh, before we started recording, the three of us were talking about it because there is a there's a new 15 second teaser for the second trailer which will be dropped on monday we have reached that point people where we don't just get trailers for movies we don't just get teasers for movies we get teasers for trailers for movies and i, I it 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 makes my heart hurt we now, get teasers w- for trailers for movies that's entire purpose is to set up future franchise movies <laughs> yes yes it's all it's like a snake eating its own tail wow except the snake never actually reaches its tail it just keeps reaching endlessly for its own tail. It's an Ouroboros. I had to say that because I just learned how to pronounce that. Oh, that pronounce look it? at you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's Ouroboros. Oh. I'm pretty cool. Which uh, is, so a, anyway, which is a, an episode title of a later season in X-Files. There you go. Um, but uh, this Ninja Turtles movie, the first one wasn't good, but I, I think... Well, reason... What are you talking about? We did an entire episode about that movie. We loved it. We did half an episode on that movie. The other half was about Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Oh. So tell tell me how those two movies fit together. What was the connection you made between I mean, those? I, I think the connection we made on Gobbledy Geek was they're both about young men coming of age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Man. Um, anyway. So the, fir- the first film was actually Donatello's boyhood? It was his, it, his coming of age story? It was. It was his, his tw- uh, splinter in that situation would be uh, the Ethan Hawke character. I like it. I like it. Um, I would love to see Ethan Hawke play Splinter. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, but uh, so, so really, that, I think that in a nutshell describes Gobbledy Geek better than anything. We had one episode, half was about uh, Boyhood, half was about Ninja Turtles. That's, that's our show in a nutshell. Um, but the reason that we started talking about uh, this new Ninja Turtles movie is because we all like, I don't think any of us think this is going to be a good movie, but we all like, we're almost sort of embarrassed to admit that like, some of the banter's not a hundred percent awful. It's, like it's kind of funny in short doses. Like the like when uh uh it's tricky starts playing. Like my immediate reaction, like the first time I saw this, was to get kind of pumped. Like oh, the Ninja Turtles are chasing bad guys, and it's, there's Run DMC. Like I started getting excited, and then you know they showed their faces <laughs> and all that. Their nightmare-inducing horror yeah, show faces. They're awful nightmare-inducing faces. Um, but like uh. Bebop, because they decided to put Bebop and Rocksteady in this movie. Um, Bebop says, like, y'all got jokes, huh? And as dumb as that is, I kind of think, like, in a movie where everything surrounding it wasn't shit, I think that might be kind of a fun moment. So, I don't know. I'm I'm going to see this because I'm part of the problem. I'm one of those idiots who will keep paying money to see movie starring characters that I love, and, even if they're terrible. And we will do at least half an episode about it. I'm not committing to that. But we will. You know we I'm will. I'm sure we will. I, I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of this, but I, I have to admit that I did not hate the first movie, although it was not good and the plot was atrocious. I I actually did enjoy the turtle banter. It was It was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I liked it. I liked it more than I thought it was going to. Now, granted, I watched it at like 10 p.m. when I was in an Airbnb in San Francisco, my first week of my new job, and I was just like, you know, like I got back to the room, didn't have anything to do, and I thought, well, I'll watch. I'll watch this. So, so it was that, the best possible conditions. But... Yeah, that would have been a much better way to watch the film. I, it, yeah. Arlo and I like paid hard-earned money to sit in a movie theater with other jerks to watch mm-hmm. it. I saw it by myself. Oh, you didn't even get the uh, shared jerk experience. Oh, no, no. Well, Paul, I get it. <laughs> Let's not talk about our shared jerk experiences, okay? Uh, no, I, I mean, I saw Jerk it. benders. I still got it. <laughs> there were there were other people in the theater, but I didn't even, like, go with a friend. Oh, I, okay, I, okay. I paid to see, to see this movie by myself. That, it, it was a sad experience. Um, but no, I think the best thing about the first movie was some of the banter. I will admit, I think the problem is that these turtles, like, I hate the look of this thing so much. I hate the look of the turtles. I hate the look of the movie. It's, uh, 
it's not it's not good. Like I I just don't understand how you pump this much money into a movie uh and they still they still look like like you call them nightmare inducing horror shows, Paul. That's the that's the best description. I like my turtles to look like roided out creatures of nightmare. I think it's great. They're like the Rob Liefeld turtles. Yeah, I, I mean they're they're close, right? But I don't I don't know how many pouches I saw, so let's not let's not go overboard. <laughs> I'm sure there are. I'm sure that there are pouches involved. Are are their feet disturbing claws? Because that's the other sign. <laughs> Do you ever even see their feet? They are they they are. I mean, they they're out of the shadows in this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if their feet are very like mysteriously concealed for the whole movie. I don't know. In that slow mo shot of the cannon, uh, the the tank oh projectile coming straight at the camera, you see them flipping around in you know in slow motion. You probably get a good look at their feet. So, that's what we're gonna watch for to mm-hmm. see if the mm-hmm. feet are actually revealed. I love That's... how the I love how the link that you sent us for the trailer describes this as Megan Fox movie HD. And, and the, the trailer has the most gratuitous Megan Fox shot ever. Like she is supposed to be an investigative journalist she's, in these movies. She's investigating she's ta- something. She's tying off a T-shirt at her midriff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I, like yeah. it's like a it's like Michael Bay just swooped in to direct this shot of of <laughs> Megan Fox. Like it's like. Her walking at the camera, and then they cut to her midriff. Like it's just like the most, the most Michael Bay Megan Fox shot possible. You know, I I will say in the first one for like the first twenty minutes, she's like a legit journalist, and I was like, this might not be awful. Like she's like, it's it's you know Megan Fox playing April O'Neil, but they're not taking her the typical route. Like she's gonna be like a a strong character on her own. And then I I if memory serves, that kind of went to hell in the first one, and it doesn't look like they're they've changed much for this one. Yeah. So, well, this is a, this was a really good job to make us excited to talk about, I think, episodes that we weren't sure how much we had to say about, because I really want to talk about these episodes now. Yeah, yeah, I'd much rather talk about uh, these two episodes than this Ninja Turtles movie now. All right, well, then uh, let's get to it. So, once again, this is, um, we're only doing two chapters uh, in this week's episode, and they have, they're, they're both smashed down into basically one so even though i took notes on separate on part one and part two separately we can talk about them as a single unit if you would like so sure arlo why don't you uh take us into the boiling rock Ooh, that's that sounds ominous it was very very portentous um i uh so yeah we were before we started recording we were talking a bit about how none of us were quite sure how much we had to say about these um, I will say, especially the first, like, I, I don't think either one of these are bad episodes. I liked both of them. I think especially the first part, though, is kind of, like, lo- just looking at my notes, I think the notes I took for the first part are the least amount of notes I've taken this entire podcast. And I'm wondering if, it, it pays off in the back half of the second episode, but I'm wondering if part of that, uh, Paul, I had you send me all the synopses that you've written up for these episodes. As we've, as we've described before on the show, Paul, uh, for no apparent benefit, uh, other than that we keep asking him to, writes out uh, very detailed episode synopses for each episode of this show, breaking down the A plot, the B plot, etc. And looking at the ones you sent me, which I think start like toward the beginning of season two to where we are right now, mm-hmm. um, almost, almost exclusively, there are a couple exceptions, but almost exclusively the B plots dealt with Zuko, and Iroh, and I think we discussed this a little bit last week, now that Zuko's part of the gang, there is no B-plot. Pretty much. So, yeah. And that really stood out to me in the first part of this episode. Um, there was just the A-plot. There was nothing else going on. And it, to me, was a little... Like, I, I felt like there wasn't a lot of meat on the bone because there was nothing else to, to go back to. Like, no... You know, there was no Zuko drama to go back to because now Zuko is part of Sokka's plot. And I, that sounds a little harsher than I mean it to because I like the episode, but it did it did drag a little bit for me. Well, yeah. the point of the, this episode seems to be that, like, the first episode is, hey, what would happen if Sokka and Zuko did something together? And that seems to be the entire idea they had for that episode right. and did not have anything else to bring except for that. And I was initially excited about that because what I said last week was that I, I was looking forward to... Uh, Sokka and Zuko, who are polar opposite characters, like playing off of each other, and that is fun. But you're right; it's it's the kernel of an idea, and that's all it is for the first episode for the for the first part of this. 
for the record, I think this is the better version of the story that was told in Imprisoned, which was the first book yeah, chapter yeah. that you loved so much. I, I was going to say this almost feels like a repeat of that. In yeah. the first, the first part feels yeah. very much like a repeat of that episode. Yeah. Well, this uh, this is heavily influenced by the 1963 film The Great Escape, the John Sturgis film uh, with Steve McQueen and James Garner. You know uh, what? I've never liked that movie. Movie. Maybe that's part of it. I, I, I feel like I remembered liking it mostly for James Garner. I don't know. I should revisit, but uh, I, I just know weird, that the weird tangent. Okay. Weird tangent. We don't do tangents on the show. I know. What I can't stand about the Great Escape, and it's been a long time since I've seen it. The Nazis are really nice to everybody <laughs> in that movie. They're like, they're imprisoning these people, but they're like, let's stop and have tea with our prisoners. We're cuddly Nazis. Okay. Continuing. Continuing me. this tangent, then. Uh, because I I honestly don't know. Did um, was Hogan's Heroes the the TV show about the prisoners of war being held at a Nazi uh, you know at a at a concentration camp? Um, was that based on? I don't know if it was based on it, but I'm pretty sure it was like a, a takeoff on yeah. it. Okay. So I, but I, I will say though, we see more brutality evinced here by guards on 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 a children's cartoon. Than we did in uh, Great Escape or Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> Hogan's Heroes was a classic. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, I don't know where the hell I was going with that. I guess I was on a tangent as well. But for me, the the high point of the Sokka Zuko banter is uh, Sokka saying, "My first girlfriend turned into the, into the moon," and Zuko replying, "It's rough, buddy. That's rough, buddy." <laughs> <laughs> I I actually love watching the two of them. Uh, like struggle to get along like like try and you know what i like is that Sokka has really nothing against zuko at this point but it's just that their personalities are so different that they have sort of like a buddy comedy mm-hmm. band, like like contention as opposed to a really serious like what, what's going on with katara and zuko like there's nothing that that contentious there but they just sort of can't figure out how to deal with each other which is so weird when you think about it. like as you're watching it happen, it feels like it makes perfect sense for the character. Like Sokka, in in the in last week's chapters that we were talking about, when uh, he first joined the team, Sokka was basically like, so Aang said, I want you on the team, but I have to ask my friends. And he went to Sokka, and Sokka thought for a second, and then basically shrugged and said, I just want to defeat the Fire Lord. If you think this is going to help, I'm totally down with it. Um <laughs> So this feels like, you know, it's contiguous from that. It feels, this feels like the Sokka that said that. But it is sort of interesting that uh, given what their personalities normally are, Katara and Sokka seem to have sort of flipped on the whole Zuko thing. Katara, like Arlo last week, you commented on the fact that watching Katara be so, so brutally just cold and standoffish to Zuko was pretty rough because she's usually the one that's most accepting and trusting. Um and Sokka, on the other hand, has always been the one that is just seems so like cartoonishly upset at Zuko or whatever. So it's interesting. It feels within character. I don't think they've cheated to get to this point, but it's just interesting that we find ourselves now with Katara being so rigid against Zuko, and Sokka's the one that's like, eh, all right, whatever, let's go save my dad. I have a I question, think... about, Paul. Go, 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 that, go for that, it, Eric. Yeah. Was Avatar intended to be four seasons? Uh, no, they they claim the creators uh, Kanetsko and DiMartino. They claim that they always had a three season plan. Because doesn't this kind of feel like? I mean, it, to me, it kind of feels like the day of Black Sun was the kind of thing that would have been the end of season three, mm-hmm. and then from the Western Air Temple on would have been season four. Like that season three ends like the ends with Zuko's like turnaround. And season four is Zuko with the gang, but they don't have a full fourth season to do that with. So they cram in a bunch of Zuko plus character episodes. Now, what I don't know is if along the way they they either sort of lost track of the plot of the of the pacing and have had to sort of pad it out at the end or, um, you know, if this was always part of the plan, like. Uh, again, like we talked about uh, last week, I, I kind of feel, I think it was last week, I kind of feel like the, the mid-season point, the, uh, 
the day of Black Sun, I like the fact that that was a mid-season climax and that it yeah. it left us feeling, it left the characters and us feeling like, well, what the hell do we do now? I sort of like that. So I can imagine that it was intentional. And they've always said that this, they went into this with a three-season plan. They knew where it was going to go and how long it would take. Um, Maybe the problem is um, that they they wanted to make the 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 failure of the invasion the mid season point because it sort of reminds me like uh, of uh, Battlestar Galactica like when they get to Earth and find it's like a desecrated husk mm-hmm. and then you had to wait like ten months for, for the the follow up <laughs> yeah. uh, so they, I feel like that was that kind of mid season twist um, and but maybe the problem is that they held it off until mid season. And now, like, I believe it was always their plan to do that and to do all, you know, to have Zuko become part of the gang. But maybe if they had done the invasion a little earlier, mm-hmm. we would have... Because, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no... On Nickelodeon, they don't do, like, big mid-season hiatuses, do they? I, I'm not I'm not sure. I do know that the... There, there uh, was a big hiatus. They, there was? Okay, well, then that makes sense. They've had several hiatus. They had several, like, breaks in release and production, and I don't... I wasn't watching as this was happening, so I don't know how many of those were planned and how many of them were like weird scheduling snafus or whatever. But I do know that people who watched this stuff as it was coming out were kind of frustrated by the by the release schedule of the show. So here's this might be an interesting point along these lines is that okay, so Day of the Black Sun came out at the end of November in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Western Air Temple aired July fourteenth the next year. Mm-hmm. Sozin's Comet Part Four, well actually they all aired on the same day, aired on July nineteenth. So Whoa. Avatar aired every day between July 14th and July 19th for this run that we are watching. Right yeah. Now. So at the at the top of the show, at the intro for this and last week's, I referred to it as the countdown to the comet. Uh, the reason I call it that is because apparently that final release schedule, uh, all this stuff that we're watching now that was all released within the space of a week, it was, it was an event that they dubbed countdown to the comet. So that's why I'm, I'm using that phrase. And it looks like ratings-wise, it paid off. Like these are really strong ratings <laughs> for uh, looking at past ratings of the series, especially. I mean, the the final episode. Yeah. So, uh, Arlo, you mentioned you, you talked about the fact that um, these episodes tonight, or these chapters we're talking about and last week's chapters um, they were all a plot, and the fact that yep. Zuko is now in the a plot party has has rendered yeah. this a, a single plot show. I wonder if that contributes to kind of the the odd feeling that we're getting. Uh, like particularly you, Eric, you've commented a couple times on feeling that the the, the pacing or whatever is a, is weird in the back half of this season. And I, I wonder if it's because now all of the like the two disparate storylines have really basically been merged into one, and we're just following that one story. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Although I also I think there's something else going on here, and and I, I so and I think that that the maybe my my concerns with season back half of season three as a whole can maybe be exemplified with these two episodes in microcosm, which is that everything we are getting right now for the these episodes is all character stuff that's going to pay off. In Sozin's Comet. You know what I mean? Like, nothing that they're doing. It's not like the beginning of season two where they were treading water. This is not water treading. But it is definitely an awful lot of character groundwork without much momentum or tension, even though it pays off. And that's what we're seeing here in The Boiling Rock, which is that part one has a lot of character moments and stuff that's needed for part two to pay off. We get Suki back. We get a, or we get a bunch of stuff like that. But it doesn't suddenly hit until the end of part two, which is actually pretty phenomenal mm-hmm. the end of part two of this episode, but it's all, it's all set up up to that point, And we spent a lot of time doing that. So I think that that's what's kind of going on is that there's an awful lot of peace moving and ground laying to get to Sozin's Comet, as opposed to a real buildup of tension. Like we got in say the back half of season two, or everything was very clearly getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Do we think this needed to be two episodes? I've been that was a question I've been thinking about, and my feeling is that un, unfortunately, maybe is my feeling on it. Because I don't know if season two, I don't know if the part two lands without part one. What do you think, AJ? I think you're right. I feel like part. 
Uh, so the only reason I don't think it should have been a, a one-off episode is because of, ex- of exactly how much happens in the back half of the second episode. Like, it's kind of like three-quarters of this two-parter was decent, was, was fine, but for me, not top-tier Avatar. And then that last quarter was like, everything was happening. And I don't know if that climax works without the, the, without the build-up. Is the problem then that they that the climax of part two was all they had and they didn't go back and find actual plot for part one? Is that maybe the problem? I mean, my question about whether we thought this this needed to be two episodes, it's not that it bothers me that it's two episodes. I actually like both parts, but um, I feel like this is a story that this the series has told stories, at, at least this complex, before in single chapters like it it definitely would have been compressed uh to fit all this stuff in but i I just feel like they've handled topics you know this big and this packed with action and detail in single episodes before so i i i was just wondering if there was a reason since it was all released together like they this wasn't split up so that they could get the the you know the cliffhanger at the end of one and make everybody wait a week Although I suppose when the show was being created, when the show was being made, that might have been the intention. They did, might not have known it was all going to be released at once. But plus, I mean, you have to think about like syndication going forward. True. Although the digital syndication mashes these well, together, anyways. But true. Um, yeah, it's right. it's really weird. I think that I just I think that I agree with you, Paul. I think that there's things that we would have lost if you cut this down, and I think the big thing you would have lost is the guy who helps them in their escape. Chit, which Chit is Sang. a lot of very fun stuff. What's his Chit name? Sang. Chit Sang. Which is a great nice. name. Um, Chit Sang would have been cut out. And there are a lot of really great moments with him. And you know, maybe it's not essential, but I do like like the riot. Like like, like that's nothing or whatever. And then his way of starting a riot is to pick up a guy and like bench press him and say riot. Yep, and that's it. That's it. And then it goes. And then like when he comes in and he's like, I'm new at the end of part two. Yeah. Yeah. Like, which is a great joke. You know, there's a lot of really great little moments with him, and I don't know if it's essential, but I mean, I think the other thing that you could cut is there's two stages to this, which is let's get out with Suki, and then should I stay and help my father? Which that dilemma, I'm not sure, actually gains them anything. Right. Yeah. And maybe if they had just compressed the whole Suki father thing into the one episode and not done that whole two stage breakout thing, which barely adds anything to the story, that actually doesn't add much. Maybe then it could have been one episode. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially because like I, I get I get the moral dilemma there, and I'm I'm proud of Sokka for staying behind for his dad, but it doesn't really um, add much. And I think if I don't like the fact that, and I know I know shows do this sort of thing all the time, but you know they go there uh, to rescue his dad, and of course his dad isn't there. But then when new prisoners arrive and they're, they keep, they keep looking for Hakoda, Hakoda keeps not being on the thing. And they're like, Oh great. He's still not here. He's the very last one to get off the, 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 the prison rig or whatever it is. And I I don't know. I just, I coincidences like that kind of drive me. He's, he's Sokka's father. He knows all about like making an entrance. So (laughs) it runs in the family. Uh, Sokka would have like tripped and fallen out of the thing as he was getting out. But so, so let's so let's talk about then what is good because I feel like there is stuff and it pretty much starts picking up when May shows up. That's the point when this starts mm-hmm. mattering. I agree. Yeah. All right. Um. And and, and then because that's when the ball really starts rolling. That's when it starts having emotional stakes. I like my my favorite thing about that is that there's an emotional cost to Zuko's betrayal of the rest of the Fire Nation. Which is someone he actually liked. That him leaving it, the Fire Nation wasn't this clean break that was just all good because they're all evil. Um, he left someone behind that he legitimately cared about and didn't do it in a particularly good way mm-hmm. and has left some like damage behind him. And I, I, I'm a big fan of them dealing with that. Yeah, Arlo, you had commented in a previous episode that you really liked the relationship they had set up between Zuko and, and May. So does this pay off for you? How did you feel about it? Uh, yeah, I was. I agree with Eric. When May arrives, that's when it really starts picking up. That's when like my ears perked up. My ear. I wasn't watching with my ears. I guess. Do I? Do eyes perk up? I. I don't know. Your eyes can um, do whatever they want, my friend. 
well, then my eyes perked up uh, when when May showed up. And yeah, I really liked how they dealt with that, especially when she decides to go against the Fire Nation guards mm-hmm. to uh, like one of the guards asks her, what are you doing? And she replies, saving the jerk who dumped me. Yeah. And then that puts her in direct conflict with Azula and Tai Lee. And my favorite thing about that confrontation is right as they're about to be, uh, build up to this big fight, especially because we just had the whole uh, Zuko and Suki versus Azula and Tai Lee. You think there's about to be a big fight between the, the three of them, and then Tai Lee intercedes and takes out Azula. Yes. Yeah, that was honestly the whole build up from the point at which the riot starts, I feel yeah. like, is. The, so actually, I'm going to take it back. The point when the guards try to take. Um, come into the thing when he, they think he's going to attack May in the cell and he uses the guard to distract both of them and get out of the cell is when the ball starts rolling and then the riot starts and we start getting moment after moment after moment that builds up the tension like really like like Suki running up the building which is just the whole parkour sequence is so awesome yeah my note on that is uh, Suki gets shit done <laughs> that's what I wrote yeah <laughs> Guys, and, and guys right I think your girlfriend the... is handling it. <laughs> She's so good in that scene. Like, it's so cool because, honestly, we know how, how much ability she has, but she actually has been kind of underserved by the plot since we first introduced – they first introduced her. Mm. And it's been a long time since we've been reminded just how awesome the Kyoshi Warriors are. And so that was that was appreciated. And then we get to the gondola stuff, and once they're on the gondola, this episode starts kicking ass. And like um, Ty, Ty Lee, I never remember. Is it Ty Lee? Yeah, Ty Lee's running on the on like the gondola wire, yeah. like it's nothing. While Azula basically flies, <laughs> yeah, at them is just like, and then the whole fight on top of the gondola is just awesome stuff. So I've said uh, before on the show that I I love any fight sequence that gets to demonstrate demonstrate like teamwork or partnership, uh, and I love in this chapter how Zuko is. We've we've already seen it, but he's proving demonstrably on screen that he is on Sokka's team. Like he's he's Sokka's partner. Well, that sounds wrong, but who knows? Maybe there's there's another uh, slash pairing we can talk about at the end of the show. Um, he's one of the good guys, and so you get Zuko, the, Zuko, Saku, Saku. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Anyways, so you know you get the fight sequences where anytime Azula like throws fire at at Sokka, Zuko jumps in the way and he blocks that. He breaks up that pattern and then Sokka steps around him to swing with his fancy space sword and then they they just do that little dance back and forth uh, a few times and I love it. I love watching that part. They, they do that so well and I'm a big fan of that kind of thing too. I like that and I like that the teamwork just sort of happens, mm-hmm. you know, like they're there and, and that's sort of the rhythm they fall into. Uh, the other thing that I'm a big sucker for that they do really well in this, and actually this is sort of like a thing that martial arts movies have generally done really well, which is really well-established rivalries and the payoffs of those rivalries in, in, in combats as they mm-hmm. go forward. And this just has a great moment of that, of Suki being like, oh, I, this, I've been waiting for this rematch with Ty Lee. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with um, Zuko and Azula, which is the like most wonderful building rivalry. But I love those kind of rivalries where the reason to fight is personal. It's not it's not like just about them being the bad guy. Like they have deep personal need to beat each other. And this whole gondola fight is just rife with that kind of thing. And I I adore that kind of fight. I respond immediately to that. Yeah, agreed. Um, And. And then we get, I mean, then we get May hopping into the fight and beating the unholy hell out of basically every guard in the prison. Yeah. You you know, you you know, what's great about that. So May has been a challenge. May and Tylee both have been a challenge for our heroes since they showed up. But as the series has progressed, you know, our guys have gotten better and better at facing them, at handling them. So when you see May, uh, single-handedly take out like I don't know a dozen of these prison guards or whatever. Um, it just reminds you that she's actually kind of a badass, which demonstrates that our guys are pretty badass. So. Yeah, these are that they've actually reached. They've finally reached the level of these people who were were pretty far beyond everything. Right. Um, yeah, and then uh, you already mentioned the the showdown between May and Azula and I I, I love the dialogue that happens there when uh Azula like 
seems genuinely puzzled, is genuinely confused about why May would would even do this. She's like, you know, you know the consequences. Why would you do this? And May's like, it, this is to pay off an earlier line, which I guess May didn't even hear, but whatever. We heard it. It was funny when May was like, because I'm a pe or when uh, Azula was like, because I'm a people person. <laughs> like, how do you know this isn't the traitor? Because I'm a people person. And then, so May says, uh, well, I guess you don't know people as well as you think you do. You miscalculated. I love Zuko more than I fear you. Just a great line. Yeah. Great line. A great line. Great line. And it, it is kind of a devastating moment for Azula because she thinks so highly of herself and her her people skills that she 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 doesn't think she can be manipulated and or or be wrong. And she she is. She completely misses what was right in front of her nose. And there's something else going on here, which is that, which I think we're going to see play out. This is a huge moment for Azula as yes. a character. This is this is a, a pivot point for Azula's character. Um, but the other thing is, is that you know we got a good sense of her feeling of that no one really likes her in the beach. Like this is another payoff of the beach where yes. her desperation to not just be feared, but to be that people would actually like her, is so palpable in the beach. And here is this moment where her friends turn against her yeah i was gonna say there's also the the subtext of these are the two people that she most most closely regards as friends like as close as she could get to having friends uh may and tylee are, are them even though she and, abuses them and mistreats them and and uh, all that but uh and the, and the takeaway for her is in this has been the only reason they bothered with her is because they feared her and now that's not enough. Yeah. That's very clearly her her takeaway from that conversation. And that means that there was never any friendship in her mind, which of course in my opinion is not the truth. That I think they were her friends and it was her monstrousness that ultimately has driven this wedge between them. Mm -hmm. But anyways, this is like a big deal for Azula and we're going to see the the consequences to these moments play out pretty hard through the rest of the season. Arlo, how do you feel about that? I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see uh, Azula reckoning with that. Azula, this is all this goes into why Azula is one of my favorite villains. She's my favorite villain in this series and one of my favorite villains overall is that you can get a moment like this because there's a vulnerability underneath the fact that she's um, awful. But I like that the vulnerability isn't like a, oh, she's really good inside. It's just that she's really wounded. She's yeah. extremely damaged by... The same way Zuko is. Both of them, we talked about this in the beach, that they both share damage from what a monster their father was. And it ex exhibits itself in different ways. And the difference is, is that, and this is sad, but Azula never had Iroh or anyone like Iroh to care enough about her to bring her back. That Zuko is as bad as Azula without Iroh. But there, Azula didn't get an Iroh. Only Zuko did. There's a whole world of fan fiction for this. Uh, for the series. I've never read any of it. I've never even looked to see what titles are, but I, I wonder if there's fan fiction out there of, you know, what if Azula had Iroh and Zuko didn't? I mean, I, I just wonder if people have written the story the other way. If Azula, if Iroh could have saved Azula and without Iroh, would Zuko have become the monster that Azula is? I, th I think he would have become a different monster, but I do think, I think he would have been his dad's son. Mm -hmm. without yeah. um, but I, I think it's very I think it's very interesting and I like that Azula is and that Azula's specific damage is playing out at this point her her inability to maintain an emotional connection with people is now biting her hard and I dig that I'm a big fan of of where that goes so yeah it's it's weird to have had such a long episode with with so little to say and then maybe eight minutes of episode yeah with with an awful lot and this stuff really plays out hard over the rest and and uh, i don't know it's just interesting like now we're you know we have two more episodes coming up before sozin's comet and i i adore one of the episodes and i other people are talking really highly about the other one i just can't really remember it but neither of them are are big tension builders either i don't think so it's, well, I, I feel like one of them is kind of a tension builder and then the other is a tension release. That may that may be the case. Yeah, we'll, we'll see when we get there. But I, it's just interesting that we'd expect there to be like two like high key episodes coming up. And we, we're not we don't have two high key episodes coming up. We have 
two more character episodes coming out, basically. Or character episode and and the cleverest clip show of all time. Guys, it's kind of crazy that we only have two more episodes of this podcast before we're done with Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, it 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 doesn't feel like it. <laughs> it's that's that's nuts. It's uh it, it'll be bittersweet, although Technically, the the sort of bonus episode we're going to use as the That's transition true. from Avatar into Korra, that will technically still be Avatar because we're gonna we're true. gonna discuss the comic series that is Avatar. But anyways, yeah, I get what you're saying. We've got one more episode of this podcast, uh, and then the the big the big Megilla, the grand yeah. finale. So, uh, yeah, it's weird. Time flies, man when you're reviewing a 22 minute episode series. So we, we are talking about doing the comics coming up and I, I have a question and this is also for the audience in case, cause reading all of these may be um, a lot if they decide they want to get involved, but we definitely said we were going to do um, the search, the promise and the rift or the promise, the search and the rift in that order. But there is also a fourth one, smoke and shadow. Yes. Which, which has just come out, which the final volume, yeah, so each of these storylines, The Promise, The Search, The Rift, and then Smoke and Shadows is the, is the fourth. Those, they all are originally released in three volume, three small volume sets. So The Promise is three volumes, The Search is three volumes, so on and so forth. Um, and then they're collected. And what we are reading from are going to be the collected volumes of those first three storylines. The Promise, The Search, The Rift. Smoke and Shadows, the third individual volume of that just came out like a week ago maybe or a couple weeks ago um i i didn't know what the release on that schedule on that was going to be so we decided not to do smoke and shadows are we going to change that now i guess i wanted to ask is it worth or should we wait till i mean do we talk about the entire comics beforehand or do we hold that off until after cora or maybe put it in between a season of cora yeah i I would hold off if just because I, I'm looking on my bookshelf right now. Those three volumes look like a lot of reading I have to do in a single week. So if we could not add to that, <laughs> I think that would be great. But I, I'm also... I have, I have a proposal, y'all, if you want to talk, want to think about it this way. Okay. We have, what, four four volumes that we can read? Technically, what if yeah, we, yeah. What if we do one at a time? What if we read the first one now, and then in between each season of Korra, we do another volume? I mean, I'm willing to consider that the 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 reason why I was I crammed it into a single bonus episode between Avatar and Korra is because these comics kind of are a bridge between those two series. Um, and I also I wasn't entirely sure I knew what a task this was going to be. I know how big these volumes are, and I I I presented it to you guys as an option, but I I never really actually expected you both to be on board for it since it is such an investment. But uh, now that we're doing it, I'm happy. Uh, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to consider the possibility of doing it that way, but they, they do all, I mean, I haven't read the fourth series, but the first three volumes do fit neatly between the end of Avatar and the beginning of Korra. I, 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 so I watched Korra without reading these. These are things I have not read. So I can say that Korra works pretty well. Right. Oh, you, no, you you definitely don't need these to, to watch Korra. I'm just, you know, the placement, placement wise the stories take place there so that's why i put them here but again i think this might be a fun way of filling in the historical gaps between each season of cora as we go starting between before cora starts we'll read the first one and then we get a little more history of what happened in between every time we go forward because cora never stops being about the period between either there's a lot of legacy stuff in cora all the way through all four seasons Mm -hmm. that's that's so this could keep us tied into that um all right. Well, I'm I'm certainly willing to consider that. Um, Arlo, any thoughts before I tell our audience to write in and advise us? I'm I'm fine with that. I'm I'm just more uh, amused that this is happening during an episode. I, <laughs> it's well, a short is, episode. This, We're trying to fill time. Well, no, and, and you know this. We're doing exactly what Avatar is doing, which is setting the stage for the future in the most boring <laughs> way possible. <laughs> oh, ouch! 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 Um, all right. Well, um, yeah. So those so those listening at home. Our options are, um, and I'd love it if you listening at home would follow along with us, but I understand it's an investment in time and money. But uh, originally we'd planned to do a single episode, uh, a bonus episode after our last Avatar episode, which is the Sozin's Comet four-part thing. Um, 
and then we would move on to Cora. Now the possibility uh, exists of doing the volumes one at a time and spreading them out throughout Cora. If you're listening and you have an opinion on this, uh, please go ahead and write to us either on Twitter or at our email, which is tarpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know your preference. Uh, but get on it, because <laughs> you've only got a couple of weeks to help us decide this. So um, what else do we have? Is there any... I feel like there were little details in these episodes that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, like, I particularly enjoyed the... Um, perhaps coincidental, but probably not, similarities to um, Luke and Han wearing Stormtrooper armor. Yes, the especially him coming in on Suki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted her to say, aren't you a little short to be right. a prison guard? Yeah. But, yeah, so I thought that was funny. And uh, I loved Zuko's moment at the beginning of uh, part one, where he's serving tea to everybody. And tries and, to tell an Iroh And joke. trying to tell a joke, yeah. Leave me alone. I'm bushed. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta be honest. I think that that, that, and everyone else I think was really cruel to Zuko on that. I think that that punchline stands on its own. (laughs) I agree. I agree. But it shows his growth because, you know, they all laughed at him and uh, the the Zuko of old would have like burned them all to cinders, but he just kind of smiled. So I like he's growing up. Our boy's growing up. Um, I also love the fact that uh, the war balloon goes down because of science, damn it. I love that. Yes, that was great. That was a nice a nice way of a nice way of trapping them there that in a clever way that that was unexpected but makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was good. And Sokka was the one that figured it out cuz he's the brains of the organ of the operation. I really yeah. like the line where Sokka describes what a war balloon is to Zuko. A balloon but for war. But for war. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, their uh, their strained banter was was fantastic. Um, oh, and we get a callback. It wasn't even explicitly like named or referenced in the show, but uh, I love the fact that Zuko sort of survives his time in the cooler by using the breath of fire technique that Iroh taught him, like way back in chapter one or in uh, in book one. Yeah. So that was yeah, cool. that was a, that was a nice little callback, and not not something they had to like really like call out. Like they just left it there for us to pick that up, yeah. which I liked. Yeah. Well, so uh, unless we have anything else to say about these or any other questions to raise, um, I was I was considering revisiting our whole what style of bending would you prefer uh, this time, but maybe we'll wait till next week, since yeah. it's the it'll be the next to last. We'll we'll choose our bending sides before we go into the series finale, I suppose. So that'll be next week. And uh, um, in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can uh, find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website. That's theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or just subscribe to the show in iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur monkey yahtzee uh, you can feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find us on social media like us on facebook for all of our updates or follow us on twitter the show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast and on twitter i am at haunt 1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and aj is at unplugged crazy uh, next week uh, it's the penultimate episode of our Avatar The Last Airbender discussion uh, as the countdown to the comic continues with chapters 316, The Southern Raiders, and 317, The Ember Island Players. Uh, Until then, remember, the best meat of all is the meat of friendship and fatherhood. Who's that whispering in the trees? It's two sailors and they're only pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's 